Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to this installment of the DRO Show. My name is Brian Diardo and uh, the second and maybe the better half of the DRO Show, Brian Rosen, is going to be joining us here. Uh, Brian, you with us this evening? I'm here. Not that, not the better, definitely the bigger. <laughs> I don't know about that, my friend. I've been, I've been, uh, I've been yes, you do. Stop. I'm not going to – no, no, I'm not going to let you even say that. And then we're not talking bigger in terms of strength. I'm significantly fatter than you, and let's – come on. Let's not even just talk about this. Just stop. Just just stop. I'm much fatter. <laughs> it's not a question. I got let's you, Let's not man. pretend. Well, hey, Brian's <laughs> all, you know, calling in from Colorado. I'm I'm nestled in here and uh, – in Columbus, how's it going out there? How's Colorado treating you? And uh, what's the weather out there uh, this time of year? What's it like? This, I got to tell you, I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say two things, and I don't, I don't mean to make anybody jealous from where we're from, uh, but two things that are just ridiculous about Denver. Number one, Saturday was, if not the most snow we've had in you know months, you know, let's say two or three. That was Saturday. So I had plans with some friends to go sledding since I don't engage in the normal Colorado winter activities, but sledding is something I can do. Um, And we were going to go sledding on Sunday and we didn't go. And you know why we didn't go? Because too much of the snow melted, despite the fact that there was a significant snowfall on Saturday. That's Denver for you. The the snow that comes here doesn't stick. It's, it's amazing. And then today, you know, today the high I think was like 64 or something like that. And again, it snowed Friday and Saturday. And it's Tuesday and it was like 64 today. So, it's it, it is the weather is ridiculous. I think that's the biggest misconception that I had. Other people have you think of Colorado and you think mountains, you think snow. And yes, the mountains get a lot of snow here. But Denver specifically, I can't imagine there are many places in the country and maybe the world for that matter that have better weather than Denver does. It's sunny literally every day. I mean, it, in a month, you, I'm not even kidding when I say this, in a month you might see one day without sun, maybe. That's how much wow. sun is here. It's, it's incredible. So you're welcome, There's, Denver, that's my one beef? board. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I My sister lives out in Denver, and she says the same thing. And it, you know, when I uh, – not necessarily in Columbus. Like you get used to the four seasons, and you're from Ohio, Brian. You know what I'm talking about. And you spent several years in Columbus as an undergrad at OSU. But you know, to me, it's it's not that you get used to the seasons. And I don't honestly mind the cold weather anymore. It, it you kind of look forward to it. You like wearing the sweats, and it kind of you, you know when it gets cold. It's football season, hockey, you know, NBA, all that stuff. The, the no sun gets old. Uh, that's why it's always you know never you know the Steelers. Unfortunately, on the losing end of most of them, but they've had a couple of playoff games in Denver, and it just—I think most of the games that sun, that bright sun, just screaming into the stadium is just like, you know, my memory of like watching Bronco playoff games. And I don't—I don't think you're on the Bronco bandwagon, but I, no, I kind of like the Broncos. The Broncos. <laughs> are, there fan, are there fans? I know. We, hey, listen, we're gonna do Cavs talk, but me and Brian yeah. haven't you know caught up in a while, so I guess we're doing some on-air catching up. But like. What are Bronco fans like, if you don't mind giving us, like, a quick, like, summary of, of what they're like and just, honestly, the, the sports culture in Colorado? Well, the sports culture is that, that Broncos are what matters and nobody else. There are 
small, mm. I would say passionate to an extent fan bases like for the the Nuggets and for the Avalanche. You know, the, the, there are some some loyal fans, but gen, gen, generally the city could give a crap at all. The Rockies, I look at it's more an event for, you know, it's a fun place to go and drink and, and party and, and, you know, it's an experience. Uh, so there's no, the, 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 this, this community is Broncos and that's it. It's Broncos 365 days a year. It's all anybody here cares about. It's all anyone here talks about. It's all that matters. And, you know, going back to my roots of being even one or two or negative one or two, you know, I hate John Elway, probably always will. And, and, and don't like the Broncos, but I will say that because I also hate I hate a fan base that is, is all about only one sport. So for that reason, I will probably never, you know, for as many reasons, that's one of the reasons I'll probably never like the Broncos. But, yeah, it, it's it's 100% all Broncos all the time, and everyone, everyone and everything else pretty much doesn't matter, which is sad because the Nuggets are actually a, uh, an entertaining team to watch. The Avalanche are much improved after last season, and the Rockies have an inc- – I mean, you know, because the ball flies here. It's like a steroid era. But the Rockies, in addition to Coors Field being a fun place to see a game, are a really enjoyable team to watch. So, you know, but that's that's the sports culture, and I would challenge anybody from this community to tell me I'm wrong. Um, I, I don't see how you could say I'm wrong on that. It's all about the Broncos, and that's it. Yeah, when I was in Denver the summer of 16, it, it seemed like the Broncos was kind of the – that was it. They dominated. And, you know, I know it's been a while since the Avalanche were – I don't want to say a dynasty, but they, they were a mini dynasty in the late 90s, early 2000s, won two Stanley Cups in a yeah, they did. They stretch. Were. And, yeah, and it, it reminds me of when I went to San Francisco this summer. I can count on my hand, one hand um, – the amount of 49er gear. I think I told Sarah, like, I saw three people wearing 49ers things. And one of them was, like, the guy that drove one of our tour buses. And I was like, are you a big 49er fan? He's like, yeah, my wife bought me this hat, like, ten years ago. I just wear it. It's like, oh. So that wouldn't even count. It was all Warrior fans. Warrior fans, and you, and you saw some, you know, Giants hats and, and you know, and then this stuff. But, yeah, I think, the, I think San Francisco is pretty much, and maybe it's just that culture out west It's just, like, you know, whatever is the most successful team, we'll just kind of hitch our wagon to that. It's it, so. it yeah. The culture is much more laid back out west, and I would say that the fan bases are better here than a lot of the South, or at least Florida. But for the most part, the, the there is a huge, huge difference in the level of commitment, in the level of passion, uh, in the le- level of maybe ridiculousness. That you know, yeah. to be fair between the east and the midwest is sports it's a lot more intense fans are a lot more intense than they are here yeah and it, it, it it's funny because you know if there was a new stadium proposal in most cities then everybody's all for it you know in pittsburgh if it's you know the new hockey arena or, or wherever people are all for it it's funny in san francisco no one wants golden state to put a stadium in san francisco because eventually they're not going to be good anymore. And, and Golden State, you know, God bless them, they're trying to capitalize on the only time in, like, 50 years, 40 years, they're relevant. And San Francisco's like, we like you out there. We like you in Oklahoma. We can see you when it's convenient, but we don't want you in our city for multiple reasons, traffic and money, 
the two biggest ones. But I digress. But let's center it back to what, if you've listened to the show for a long time, which I guess, you know, retrospectively we've only been doing this for like a year plus. But if you've been a, a long-time listener, you know, we know we're, we're mostly uh, Cleveland sports. We'll, you know, we'll dabble, mostly Cavs. You know, we'll dabble with OSU since we both went there. Uh, you know, mostly it's Cavs. That's kind of, I, I would say, the one team me and Brian kind of share, you know, a similar passion with, you know, in terms of our sports fandomness. And then I'll I'll throw in some Steelers every now and then, and we normally will talk Tribe uh, around the fall because the Pirates are, are done. But, uh, anyways, we're going to start with one of our our, uh, our staples, which is uh, Diardo's Diatribe and Rosen's uh, rant. And let's start off with you, Brian. Yes. So I, I'm torn. I'll be honest. I want to talk basketball. I know we're going to talk a lot of Cavs. I have so much to say about the Cavs, but I'll wait. And and let me let, let's talk about a sport and a team that I have been adamant, if you know me at all, and probably on one of these podcasts, adamant that I don't like college basketball and I didn't care about Ohio State. And I got to be honest with you, you want to call me fair weather, fine. I don't care. Um, a lot. There were other personal reasons. Um, I hate the Schottenstein Center. We've talked about that before. It's awful. Uh, the, the environment is really poor for Iowa State basketball. There's other personal reasons I'm not going to get into. Um, I'm definitely much more of an NBA fan. Uh, but I also was just not a big Thad Mata fan. Uh, love him personally. Great guy. Very good man. So it's not, not coming down on him as a human being. But I just felt like he was a terrible X's and O's coach. And I just lost a lot of, you know, luster and, and, and love for them. And it's been revitalized by Chris Holtman. Uh, it, it's still, to be clear, they're still clearly my number five, um, you know, I, in terms of the, the teams I care the most about. If you include Ohio State football and the three Cleveland sports teams and, and even maybe the Jackets. I, they're probably, I guess they're probably my six or five and a half. But I just have so much respect for Chris Holtman. I love when you see, you see coaching, how incredible coaching is. Uh, to take some teams that have been absolutely horrible the last few years, and especially last year, and then it's essentially like the same group of guys, and look what's, look what's happening. All of a sudden, you have a team that's, that's sitting here number eight. Uh, with, if the you know, Buckeyes can win the two games this week, which will be very tough, Penn State and Michigan, maybe end up in the top five. Who knows? It's incredible what's happening. I have such a respect for what Chris Holtman has done. I really like him personally. Great coach. Kata Bates-Diop is, you know, finally getting a little bit of the love he deserves for being one of the better players in the country. Um, it's, you know, even Dockage. It's weird to have someone who went to Michigan, and his dad drives me nuts. So I'm not a huge fan of, of, of you know, Dan Dockage, the announcer, but, I mean, you know, this little point guard is kind of like a – it's funny to say a poor man's Aaron Kraft because Aaron Kraft's a poor man's, you know, whatever, someone else. But that's kind of what he, what he is. He, he doesn't shoot often, but when he does, he makes it and is a really good leader, exactly the kind of veteran that this team needed. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about the Buckeyes. I'm, I'm looking forward and will be more excited this upcoming year for March. Uh, than I have been in a very, very long time. Um, so looking forward to watching the Buckeyes, and that's my, uh, at least for me, my more subdued Rosen's rant of the night. Back in, in, in excited for tomorrow night to watch Penn State and Ohio State, excited for 
the Michigan game on Sunday and looking forward to seeing uh, how far this team can go come March. Yeah, I'm pumped too. I really am. And uh, it's just exciting that people are – and all it took was, was one really good season because the shot had its first sellout in, in a long time uh, this past week. Um, it's so fun to watch them now and you expect them to win again. And just, uh, you know, I YouTube the other day just like 2007 Ohio State basketball highlights and just got chills watching, you know, Greg Oden play and Conley and, and Lewis, Ron Lewis and, and the microwave, you know, Ivan Harris. Just, yeah, good memories we have of covering those teams. And, you know, it, it, and as much fun as it was to cover football. And we actually have a caller here uh, from Cleveland, and I'm going to do my – I'm going to abbreviate my uh, Diardo's diatribe, and then I think I know he wants to talk Cavs. I recognize this, the Cleveland area code. So, but real quick on, on my on the basketball comments from me, um, yeah, it's just it's it's fun to have. You know, when I was at OSU with you, I think I enjoyed covering basketball more, basketball more than football. It was, you know, we didn't love the Shot and Seat Center, but just being in that press box, the way they took care of us, the city barbecue, um, just the overall pace of basketball at Ohio State where it wasn't necessarily as crazy as football Saturdays, but it was still fun, and they were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a lot of good memories from that. So uh, so my Jordan uh, diatribe, and, and, and I'm going to be positive too. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's my Penguins, man. I know that, uh, the, the and rightfully, the Blue Jackets are frustrating to you as we do this uh, podcast on Thursday night. Uh, the Jackets fell 6-3. to three. Um, They're off and on this season, and uh, right now, they're on the cusp of a playoff spot, which I, I've talked to some of my Blue Jacket friends out here. Um, if if the Jackets don't make the playoffs this year, it's easily the most disappointing season in Jackets history. Like, it has to be. And I know there's been uh, two previous years where they made the playoffs the previous year, then they didn't make it when everybody expected them to and all that stuff. But uh, this will be the most disappointing season ever because – um, they had the fourth most points in the NHL last year. I don't care. They lost Pittsburgh in the, fourth, in the first round last year. When you are fourth in the league in scoring one year and you don't even make the playoffs the next year, that's inexcusable. I know they've had some injuries here and there, but I think at the end of the day, as Brian says, they just don't have enough pure scores. And that kind of leads me to the Penguins where, you know, they were down this season for, for probably the first quarter of the year. Uh, they were at one point like 10th in the standings and, there were a lot of fans of Pittsburgh that were panicking. And to me, it's almost like the Cavs. Now, this year, and we'll get to the Cavs soon, uh, this year, you know, and Brian will tell you, I'm always the most optimistic with the Cavs. But this year, warranted, I think, before all these trades, Cleveland fans uh, had warranted worry about their team because that, that unit was not getting very far uh, in the Eastern Conference playoffs. But, uh, you know, fans were worried about the Penguins, and, and, man, they just turn it on. They just turn it on. They're a joy to watch. I watched the game with my dad last night. You know, Denny Malkin is unbelievable. He's a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, Crosby, three assists. You know, Gensel, a couple of goals. It, I just hope that Pittsburgh fans are really appreciating this Penguin team. I mean, it's, it's the best sports team uh, Pittsburgh's had in my lifetime, which is 32 years. It is. It's the best team, um, which is crazy because the Steelers have also won two rings during uh, my lifetime. But, no, it, this – this Penguin team's special, and I think Sullivan is the best coach that's ever coached in Pittsburgh outside of Chuck Knoll. He, he's that good. Um, so uh, I know Badger Bob passed away after the Pens won their first cup. I think he was special too. But, but Sullivan is, is a special kind of coach, and uh, I hope Pittsburgh fans are appreciative of him. And I'll stop there because let's get to some Cavs talk. 
I know Brian is pumped about him. Uh, it's not, it may not be talk. Why, let's not just assume it might not that, be. that a, a caller – let's not assume a caller if he wants to talk about the Cavs. I'm sure the caller from Cleveland Pride doesn't want to talk about the Steelers, but, you know, let's just say they don't want to talk about something else. All right, buddy. Welcome to the show. We know you've been waiting for a while, so we appreciate your patience. Let us know your name and where you're calling from, what you'd like to talk about. Oh, man, I'm Doug P. I'm calling from the Ville, and I was actually calling to talk about the draft, uh, the NFL okay, draft nice. that's coming up. But if you want to hit some Cavs talk, too, uh, yeah, I probably couldn't be more excited about the way we look right now. Definitely. But what was your draft question? Oh, I didn't have a question. I was just calling to talk. Okay, well, I'm assuming you're a Browns fan? Die hard. All right, well, give me give me who you want uh, in terms of your draft pick. Now, I don't know if you caught Todd Haley's press conference today, the Browns' new OC. He said he's not going to give up on Kaiser, but he's also open to drafting a quarterback, which I think, I think Browns fans are, are expecting that. And Cleveland even tweeted something today with, with uh, a couple of, of draftees' faces and said, which guy are we going to pick? So it's going to be another quarterback battle in Cleveland this year. Who do you want to see uh, the Browns draft? And Haley said he has no problems with the Oklahoma kid, even though he is quote unquote shorter, which is funny because he's six three and a half. But uh, I digress there. But, but what say you on who you want to be? <laughs> a, who you'd like to see the Browns draft, and B, uh, who would you like to see be the opening starter in Week One? Um, I would absolutely, if we stick at one, I'm hoping they take Josh Rosen. I just think with uh, his talent and has been known from day one as him as a freshman that he's got it in terms of the skill set. Um, if we stick at one, that's where I'd like to go. I would like to sign some sort of veteran to start week one. What do you think, I, Brian? I know that you're – yeah. yeah. I can't argue – yeah, I mean, I definitely think you want to have a veteran – starting game one for sure i mean it's we can't we can't do this thing we we keep doing every single year it, it's you're just you're killing these guys you know uh as much of a douche as brian kelly is he probably was right about john kaiser probably should have stayed another year at notre dame definitely should not have been starting in the <laughs> nfl last year that's for damn sure um you know and, and nah, let's not make that mistake ready. again yeah let's not make that mistake again uh, you know, I'm I, honestly, the funny thing that's starting to happen already to me is because of, and I, and I don't know how to pronounce the name, the caller who, I don't remember the fake name you used, but, uh, if you want to say the guy's, the guy, uh, you want to say the guy's name, Doug P. Scott, Scott something. No, I'm saying Scott, whatever the guy's name, whoever it is, the guy who's our draft consultant who has Baker Mayfield, Oh, the, you know, the number one quarterback. Yeah, yeah it, it's it's going to get to the point here where the the positive to all this talk is is that when we assume I don't want to say when because the Browns could screw up anything, but hopefully we don't draft him and then I'll be more acceptable to anybody we take that's not him with the first overall pick. And it's already starting here in February. You know, two months before the draft, more than two months before the draft, where. I'm already sitting here afraid of drafting Baker Mayfield, which would be so risky and unnecessary and, and just a terrible idea at number one. I really, as a Broncos well, hater, would love to see him come here and end up in Denver and fail. That's my ultimate goal for him. So we'll see. I mean, even uh, just yeah. as 
Go ahead. Even just as uh, talking about starting a veteran quarterback, I mean, for the last year, I mean, I can't even count how many years, we've heard the development of young receivers because we don't have a quarterback who can throw them the ball. At least get somebody in there who's going to help put a flow to the offense. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. I saw the Browns play twice. I'm not going to lie. The two times they played the Steelers, I saw them play. And here's what (laughs) he played in a lot of other games. I know that. I know that that they didn't win the other games. But I will say this from watching him play against the Steelers twice, his first game and his last game, I think there's potential there. Um, I I am very much in the minority there. But I saw a kid with moxie. I saw a kid that can take a hit. I saw a kid that was competitive. I saw a kid that was athletic. I saw one that I think has some leadership skills. Uh, you know, he, he seems pretty committed to football. Um, I, you know, he, he turned the ball over a lot of times. Well, guess what? Terry Bradshaw threw 24 touchdown interceptions as a rookie in 14 games, six touchdowns. So he's in the Hall of Fame. Huh. So I think that, <laughs> you know, with him, he took a lot of shots. And obviously when you get older – you don't want to have – if he's making those same plays in year two, year three, okay, not improving, all right, got to get rid of him because turnovers kill you in the NFL, especially now when a lot of the teams are closer. I mean, you look at the, the two Cleveland Steelers games. I mean, those two games were decided by seven points. You can say what you want. The Steelers rested all those guys in week 17. It doesn't matter. That was the Steelers' starting defense out there, and they wanted to win that game. Um, if Kaiser – I think it was good from the standpoint that you know, I guess at some point in the year, Hugh Jackson was probably like, all right, you know, we don't want the turnovers, but we're not, we're not playing to have a great record this season and make the playoffs. We're not going to make the mistakes now, learn the throws you can and can't make in this league now, learn the passing lanes, learn from your mistakes. And I think that – I think Kaiser's going to be the starter week one because, A, he has the most experience, and, B, I think that they've laid down – like, last year was – the year where you lay the foundation down. And I think he did enough in year one to warrant a chance to start in year two, which I think he's going to get. I don't think – my, my fear with Mayfield is he definitely has a lot of Manziel characteristics. I mean, is it a sin that the dude is, is holding the beer at an NBA game the week of a bowl game? No, not the smartest look, though. You know, so I think there's – you know, character is a big thing. Obviously, Ben was immature when he came into the NFL, and he straight he got straightened out. But Ben was an athletic specimen. I don't know if Mayfield necessarily is. So that's kind of my two cents on that situation. <laughs> yeah, I think Ben could eat Baker Mayfield. I mean, it's yeah, yeah it's like two par- It's parallel opposites in terms of body type, and you couldn't find two bigger difference. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I and and Doug P, we can get your opinion on this. But um, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think that uh, I I don't I don't think there's really much of a chance Kaiser starts week one just because again I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll have a veteran someone that we'll bring somebody in. Um, I would be okay with letting Kaiser be the sacrificial lamb if it was if we didn't and if it was him versus the first pick that we take just simply because I'm just so adamant about you know at least some some sort of, 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 you know, time sitting on the bench and, and learning and not getting yourself killed. At least let some, the rest of the offense maybe have some cohesion first before you, you, you do that. But, but I, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, are there any veterans that, you know, 
that you would like that are out there that you think are realistic? I mean, we're not going to talk about Kirk Cousins. He's not going to be a Brown. So, um, <laughs> McCarron, you know, so he, he has, he has a big meeting with the league tomorrow, whether or not he's going to be able to pursue free agency. I think McCarron would be your best bet. Uh, the word on the street is um, a team's going to be having to be willing to give up a fourth or fifth round pick for Nick Foles. It seems like the Eagles are going to take their loss and keep him. So it seems like those are the two most viable options for the Browns if they're going to go the veteran route. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm hoping. <laughs> um, I I'm not opposed to the McCann thing. I'm glad we didn't give up a second and a third to get him. But um, if he was going to start week one and be your guinea pig, so to speak. Uh, but I haven't heard such great talk about Kaiser uh, maybe since the end of the season. I thought that was awesome. The breakdown with he learned the passes he's able to throw. He can be your sacrificial lamb at the beginning of the season if that's what you want to do. But then you also have the chance of him actually looking good and becoming a trade asset, even if he's not your future goal or just being a really solid quarterback to have on your team. As a Browns fan, I mean, you can't complain about having two potential guys that are going to be good. Most no. seasons we're hoping for one. <laughs> Every season we're hoping for one, yeah. Well, I'll just, I'll just throw this in here, and then I guess we'll close the Cleveland Browns segment, which, hey, we have, we, this might be the first time we've ever talked to extensive Browns, which I like. You know, uh, that I will say this about Todd Haley. Todd is not a guy that, that is like, all right, here's the offense I like to run, and here's how it's going to go. I think that was probably my biggest praise of Haley is he, A, evaluates his talent. I think he gets the most out of his talent. And he's very much a guy that uses, utilizes the strength of what he has. And, and, and not just, like, going forward for a season, but even week to week. I mean, there were weeks where the Steelers would throw it 90% of the time because of who they were going to play and based on the injuries and whatever they had on their team. And then there'd be weeks where it'd be totally flipped and it'd be a predominant, you know, a running game. So uh, that's what I liked about Haley was he, he didn't just run a balanced offense for the sake of running a balanced offense. Like we have to throw 30 times and run 30 times. No. Um, he, he's also very good at getting the ball out of his quarterback's hands quick, really working with quarterbacks on a quick release because I know Kaiser got hit a lot last year. I know the Browns offensive line, had, there's a lot to be desired there. So you're going to see an offense that is going to be up-tempo, quick release, um, and, and, and they scored a lot of points. But, and this is the issue in Pittsburgh, uh, he sometimes is way too cute when you just need to get the job done. Third and one, so many times, when a, a QB sneak or a run up the middle would have gotten the job done, the Steelers are pitching wide to Le'Veon Bell, or they're trying these low-percentage throws. That, to me, is the biggest knock on, on Haley. But overall, I think he's a good OC. He knows the Steelers, which, shoot, you play him twice a year. He's <laughs> North in general. So I think you're in good hands with him. But, hey, man, appreciate the call. And, man, you never know what you're going to get, as, as Brian Rosen alluded to before the call. But, hey, I hope we answered your Browns questions. And don't be a stranger. Call back in again sometime soon. Hey, thanks a lot for having me on. Talk yeah, you guys sure, later. we're going to continue to – we're gonna, yeah, we're going to roll. I don't know. Obviously, it wasn't his real name. But, man, like you said, Brian, you never know what we're going to get on the show. But let's, let's <laughs> dial in on the main event, Cavs talk. I mean, you know, uh, the trade went down. It was, it was you know, the, the, uh, the, probably the craziest 
you know, deadline day that I remember, especially with I remember ten hey, years real quick, ago, Brian. Yeah, not to, not to interrupt. I want I'm going to go right back to you. I just want to make say one real quick, real real quick finishing point on the Browns. You know what? I'll, I'll ask a question. Do you, do you know what I'm excited? Why I'm excited that Todd Haley's the offensive coordinator? The number one reason. Why? Any guess? No guess. Ah, um, I mean, no, I really don't. Because it's not, he's not, he's not Hugh Jackson. I mean, Hugh Jackson's not going to call the plays. So honestly, it's not, I'm not ripping on Todd Haley. I'm just saying to you that I'm just so happy that I'm so freaking thrilled that Hugh Jackson's not calling the plays anymore, that we could have anybody call the plays. That's not Hugh Jackson, and I'd be happy by comparison. So that's the only thing I wanted to throw out there. We can get back. No, into and, and the here's the thing. And here's well, no. Now I want to. If I can, I'll go. I'll come back real quick with Haley. That the thing that I like about well, the, here's the thing with Haley, and, and I know that everybody's all oh, he didn't get along with Ben, this and that. Haley likes subservient players, and I think the and it's kind of like LeBron with the, the old Cavs, where all you kept hearing was like Jay Crowder and Isaiah Thomas. They didn't look at LeBron like some of the young players do, where it's like, I'm getting a chance to play with LeBron. Like, I'm going to relish this opportunity, which I think some of the guys that they've brought into Cleveland have that mindset. Like, LeBron's not a peer. LeBron is LeBron. Like, you know, you hear that with, you know, Jordan's second go-around in Chicago with the young teammates that he got, and they were, like, in awe of playing with him and, like, man, I get a chance to, like, be a part of his legacy. And that's the thing with Haley when he came to Pittsburgh, where it was like, I don't think he had the same uh, – he didn't have the respect of a lot of his players. And when Ben doesn't necessarily respect you, who's going to respect you if the leader of the team doesn't respect you? So Ben didn't like getting yelled at. You know, there was that famous thing during a game where the Mike saw Haley yelled, Ben, shut the F up. You know, so so there was there was that. Now – now, conversely, when Haley was in Arizona, you know, Larry Fitzgerald liked to be coached that way. Warner liked to be coached that way. Anquan Bolden and, and, and down the line. And I think there were some players in Pittsburgh that liked that part of being coached by Haley. Ben, obviously, you know, for good or bad, is not a subservient player. He wants somebody to kind of respect him on that you're Ben Roethlisberger level. And him and Randy have, Fitchner, the new Steeler OC, they have that rapport so I think as long as players in Cleveland respect Haley, respect the coaching title, respect that he's been to a Super Bowl with Arizona, I think that he's a very good coach for the Browns. I like Williams. I said that before on this show. I think he's a very good D coordinator. Their defense got worse as the year went on because they weren't winning games, and obviously that's going to be disparaging for your defense. But if the offense helps the defense at all, I, I really do think Cleveland can make some hay in the AFC North, especially because the Ravens are down. They almost fired Harbaugh this offseason. Uh, the Ravens are one bad season away from blowing the whole thing up. Um, and I don't think the Bengals are very good. So, um, yeah, I, I definitely think the Browns have a chance. I thought they had a chance last year, um, so we'll see. Did you want to add anything else there, man, or do you want to get to the Cavs? No, no, we, we can get right back to the Cavs. Sweet, man. I've enjoyed talking Browns, though. Never thought I'd say that. It's and now it's kind of neat because I, I know more about them now with Haley and whatnot. So, uh, but yeah, and uh, so the Cavs. So, uh, yeah, man. I mean, we hadn't talked Cavs in a long time. I don't mind going public with this. 
you said you didn't ever want to talk Cavs with me again, and I understand why, because I can be very annoying with my optimism. Now that we're on the other side of it, there was no reason to be optimistic, and I was stupid. I was. And uh, <laughs> so they blew it up. And I, No, really, I was stupid. I really was. Like, there was no reason to have hope. I don't know why I still had hope. There, that, 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 that ship was sinking. Um, and now uh, I love it. I love what they've done. They've won four in a row. They look awesome. LeBron looks rejuvenated. He's having fun. This team, the young guys were hitting threes. You know, I know two of them were, were from L.A. They got a guy from Utah. I mean, it, I love the George Hill signing, to be honest, because he's a veteran that wants to win. He was kind of a thorn in, in LeBron's side with the whole Heat-Pacer rivalry. So, uh, you know, they had another nice win last night by OKC, uh, over OKC, rather. They were tested in that game late, uh, and they were able to hang on and win. But, yeah, Brian, I, again, I, I think that this team is, again, the team to beat in the East. Uh, and honestly, it doesn't matter about the finals, really. It does, but it doesn't. To me, it, it's does this team have a chance to to win the East? And the answer again is yes. Yeah. Well, and and, and the whole thing before why I was so frustrated was yeah. I mean, it, it, because it it clearly was not working. It wasn't going to work. And I know you're optimistic, and I appreciate that about you. I w- I wish I could be more optimistic myself. I, I, you know, the way you are, and it's, it's an incredible, great quality. So I admire about you. Um, but I mean, you know, it, it's one of those things that it just, it was so bad. I mean, Isaiah Thomas specifically was such a nightmare as a person, as a player, and as a player, I'm willing to forgive him from the standpoint that it just, you shouldn't count on somebody who went through major hip surgery the next year. You just shouldn't, you know, it just doesn't make sense. So it wasn't going to work, but I was extremely surprised and taken aback and disappointed in his attitude and called players out. Um, you know, it's funny, he kind of did that a little bit before he got out there and it didn't bother me because it's like at that point he has actually some credibility from a, a, a borderline, you know, MVP caliber season last year. But when you're out there and you're shooting too much and you can't do anything to help the team, but everything you do hurts the team, offensively and defensively, you lose that right and that credibility. And, you know, there was a stupid team meeting where, you know, he was known to, to kind of question Kevin Love as to should, you know, is Kevin Love sick and why didn't he attend to practice and that crap. It's like, um, sorry, Kevin Love's a champion. Kevin Love played yeah, 100% what I defense. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Kevin Love played incredible You're defense on Steph Curry. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I mean, think about, think about, you know, everyone talks about the block and the shot at the end of game seven. How about the stop? He played stop. incredible yep. defense on, on Steph Curry. You know, so again, in that, you know, it, it's, it was, it's just ridiculous. But this team now, it, it is so revitalizing. I mean, my goal when I woke up that, that, that morning deadline was trade IT and I'll be – Relieved just from that standpoint, but they did so much better. Kobe, Kobe Altman, unbelievable! What a job by this guy. Um, let's just just sort of recap what happened here. So the Cavaliers, throughout all the trades, traded six guys. Right, the two Celtics, Isaiah Thomas, we talked about was a nightmare. Jay Crowder, either just was very overrated or got aged ten years in about one year. He was terrible in all facets of the game, especially defensively, where we it was supposed to be very good. 
All right. Then you have Derrick Rose as a backup point guard. Again, this is a Derrick Rose that has been very, very injured and is not the same and is a horrible player defensively. By comparison to IT, he was good, but not a guy you want to rely on whatsoever. All right. Then you had Amon Shumpert. Injured most of the year. When he's not injured, you don't want him out there. Uh, appreciate he was a champion. I appreciate very much that he was the reason, essentially, that we made a trade for him and, and another guy to throw in there named J.R. Smith. And J.R. ended up being a hero on the final team and it finally seems like he's back and, and in a great spot. And if he perf- continues to perform at this level, then you could start realistically thinking about a championship. Uh, I'm not sure he'll be able to, but this is a dramatically different team when J.R. Smith is hitting his shots. So, you know, and then you lost, you know, you lost Channing Fry, And that's a loss. It is. It's a loss on the court. It's a, maybe a bigger, probably a bigger loss off the court. Great guy, team leader. You know, that was the one guy you, you missed. And Dwayne Wade also, but, you know, watching just these younger guys the last few days, even though Wade at times really was great, and I do have a ton of respect for him as a Hall of Fame, future Hall of Fame player, it, it, clearly we're, we're not missing him. So if you summarize, Brian, you have five of the six guys that you really don't miss at all, not even a little bit. And in exchange, you got four guys. You mentioned George Hill, you know, great three-point shooter, the perfect ideal player to surround to, to have with LeBron James because he's going to get open shots and he can hit them. You add in two of the best bench players in this season in the entire NBA. Jordan Clarkson from the Lakers, Rodney Hood, you know, beautiful left-handed stroke from Utah. Two guys that were each averaging, I want to say one was 16 and the other was 14, but, you know, so let's say between the two of them, averaging about 15 off the bench. Um, Two just, you know, tremendous scorers, you know, athletic enough to, to play some defense, but has some great length, and all good. And then lastly, and, and certainly not least, Larry Nance Jr. His father is a legend. He's somebody that people like me watched as, as a kid. His names had been hanging up in the rafters as long as I can remember going to Cavs games. And he is just a big ball of energy. Uh, you know, it's so fun watching him play. He doesn't have the offensive skill, nearly the offensive skill that Dad had, and that's fine, but he's going to be in the dunk contest this Saturday. He has incredible athleticism. He's a tremendous rebounder. His energy is, is the best part of his game, and it's incredible offensive rebounds, rebounds in the Thunder game. Tips went out to Jordan Clarkson, who hit the game-winning three. Game, or not game-winning, but game-clinching three, I should say. Right. So, you managed, Brian, to take, and I'm sorry for Ranting this long, but you managed to take you managed to take six guys of which you were getting very minimal about four you were getting no value, and then you know you were getting a little bit outweighed in, in, in Channing Fry, and then you managed to get four guys you get tremendous value in. You're younger, you're more athletic, you have someone that can actually kind you know can actually kind of defend point guards. I and mean, George Hill had a bad you had a bad year for Sacramento defensively, but who would want to defend on Sacramento when you're going nowhere? And your goal is probably to have the worst record, hopefully get the number one overall pick next year. So George Hill's defense has been, you know, very solid in his brief stint with the Cavs. We know he's capable. So you factor all that in, and you went from, you know, 
my perspective, just wanting and dying for watchable basketball to, wow, yeah, it's only been a couple of games, but with a revitalized greatest player in the world, LeBron James, you have a basketball team that not only looks, not only should be the favorite, deservingly so, to come out of the East, but all of a sudden you have a team that you actually could, could sell yourself on the idea that maybe, just maybe, we can hang with Golden State. So I know that was a lot. You can chime in on whatever, whatever. No, I loved, I loved all of it. I loved all of it. I love the fact that you're with me on the Golden State thing. And I think, I think honestly, like, I think in 15, the Cavs were the better team. I think the way the Cavs were built 15 and 16 and the way Golden State was built pre-Durant, you know, I think the Cavs should have won in 15. I don't want to say Golden State should have won in 16 because the Cavs won three straight, so it's hard to argue. But I think at the end of the day, they both got one ring. You could argue which year should have won, whatever. They both got one one ring, and I think that's fair. 17, I mean, Golden State, I mean, the Cavs were going to have to have a lot go their way to beat Golden State. They should, If they would have won game four in Cleveland, I'm sorry, game three, then maybe they would have had a shot. They would have had a shot, but they didn't. And, and the way that they were built, Golden State was better. Uh, I think with the first trade with Crowder, Isaiah Thomas, and company, um, I'm still not a big Jeff Green fan, but maybe we can discuss that at some other point. Um, I can't believe he's only 31. I thought he was like 37. <laughs> but I'm not a big Jeff Green fan, but, but whatever. Um, he's kind of like a Channing Fry where he'll score in volume, but, but maybe not. You know, If he has the clutch gene, then he really is Channing Fry. Um, I was kind of disappointed with, with, with that transaction to get rid of him. I don't, I don't know if you want to – you can chew on that when I'm done with my mini rant here. But um, but I thought that when they lost um, Kyrie, this this was, you know, the team that Kobe Altman put together was, was the best team he could. You bring in Isaiah Thomas, yeah, you've got the surgery thing, which they obviously didn't know it was as bad as they initially thought. You get rid of Kyrie Irving. Um, I didn't really like Crowder. Uh, his, it didn't seem like his hustle was really that good. He was very inconsistent both in shooting and in, and in overall play. Um yeah, Dwayne Wade. I mean, yeah, initially, I mean, yeah, he he was he's not the Dwayne Wade of old. He just isn't. Um, so it obviously didn't work. And then when Isaiah Thomas calls out Love, that's the end of it. Because like you said, Love's a champion. He might not be LeBron James's best friend, but they have certainly earned a level of trust with winning a championship. And honestly, going into the trade thing, my big thing was keep the nucleus, which meant. You keep the guys that you won a championship with. You keep Tristan, which they obviously were going to. You keep J.R. Smith. Uh, you keep, obviously, LeBron James isn't going anywhere. And, obviously, Kevin Love. You, you keep that four, those four guys. You can bring in new pieces, and they can work around those guys. I still love the Corvers on the team. I know he was on the team last year, too. I really like him as a shooter. I really am happy they've kept Smith. Thompson is still an elite rebounder. Him and LeBron – have that alley-oop thing going. They have a, a good chemistry on the floor. And then you bring in – I mean, now they only have six guys in their 30s, which they had more than that before this, this whole thing went down. Um, you know, Clarkson, you know, 25 in his prime. Hill, you know, 31, but, but for his position, that's fine. That, he's still in his prime. You know, Rodney Hood, 25, you know, great. Nance, 25. And like you've talked about with Nance, does he score a ton? Not really, but his maturity, his leadership, his work ethic, his hustle – the Cleveland background, wanting to play with LeBron, you know, and then I love the, you know, the Larry Nance signing is, as well. So um, overall, I love what they did. And how cool is it to see them uh, win in Boston like that? Like that, that was like a, I mean, I don't like Paul Pierce. I, 
didn't mind him early in his career, but then he thinks he was way better than he was. He wasn't – he was good, but, like, come on, man. Like, <laughs> you had Garnett and you had Ray Allen, and if you didn't have him, you wouldn't have won anything. Like, come on. <laughs> like, I don't know. It, to win and to have those – the 08 Boston team there, which I cannot stand that team. I cannot stand that team, that era. And, and the way they won, and I don't like, and I don't know how you feel about Kyrie Irving. Maybe this is the way we can go. I don't like Kyrie Irving. I'll just say it. And he, he was maybe my favorite Cav to watch in, in 15. Uh, I loved watching him play. I still remember him putting 55 on the Spurs. I know he made the shot, but the way he left, I mean, yeah, I wanted to have a run at beating Golden State, but I think there'd be so much vindication in beating, uh, beating Boston on the way there. I think that would be. One of the defining moments, and seriously, it's, I think it would be one of the defining moments in LeBron's career if they he takes this new nucleus, which it looks like they will, and they go to the playoffs and they get to the finals again, and they beat Kyrie Irving. And also, too, and I'll shoot it back to you now, too, and I also went on a rant as well. Uh, LeBron is now back into the MVP, firmly back into the MVP conversation. I really think that, that uh, the Beard's going to win it, uh, which I, I don't really – I'm not a big fan of him either. Uh, but I think it, it should still be LeBron's uh, MVP title because he essentially is going to get the Cavs into a top two seed again uh, with essentially two teams in the same season. Yeah, I, I, I'm to, to your point on Kylie. I mean, that was the, really the one positive to him leaving the whole time was you said, okay, now since it's going to be hard to beat Golden State regardless. Now right. you have something to at least be happy about, to look forward to. You, right. you, you have some positive, and if just getting to the finals and knocking him off and Boston off is rewarding in a way that we have not had a rewarding victory in the Eastern Conference playoffs since whatever the last series. And not even that. I, I, honestly, this is going to sound silly. But you could argue that we have not, the Cavs have not had a rewarding victory in the Eastern Conference playoffs since beating Detroit to go to their first finals with LeBron in 2007. You could make that argument simply because every team that, you, that, that the Cavs beat from then on, you should have beaten. Every team the Cavs Tell beat, there was no one you were worried about or, or, or you were threatening the last three years, certainly. And even before that. Chicago second you know, round 15? So, they were down two no, one, and LeBron made that Bulls. crazy shot. And... Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, I don't feel that way. I'm not. Okay, and that's that's probably fair. To be, you know, that that's probably that'll be the only one, though, right? From, from my perspective, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, you're right. That's you're right. That is the only one. So, um, but it definitely makes it more. You know, it will, would make it more rewarding to, to be able to do it this way. But one of the fascinating things. Yeah, you know, and this is something I'd like your sort of take about as someone who's you know a huge LeBron fan. Is it's kind of fascinating that now, for the first time, going back to that you know the, the, those final Cavs teams, and specifically you know the, the, the team that lost to Boston, you know, in LeBron's final game the first time, you know that was the last time, Brian, that LeBron was not part of a big three until now, and that's what's yeah. so fascinating is there's not a big three, there's a big two. And then a lot of other very talented players. So whereas top to bottom, I think this is the most talented Cavs team that the Cavs that we've had in the history of the organization. Um, 
you know, at this yeah, point. Yeah, I would agree. And maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but I feel that way. The bench is just insanely talented. I mean, again, we you know, holdovers, Jeff Green was tremendous. Jetty Osmond, someone we, we could talk about who is really, you know, uh, looking good and finally getting a chance, and he seems to have a bright future. Um, Kyle Korver may suffer and lose some minutes, but he's one of the best shooters ever. So having him yep. on the bench yep. is obviously is obviously a great thing. And so, you know, it, it, it's a very deep, strong team from top to bottom. And, you know, but, but, but I mean, you know, how do you feel about that in terms of come the playoffs, come the Eastern Conference Finals or, or the NBA Finals or whatever, you know, how do you feel about the fact that LeBron doesn't have that Kyrie Irving, you know, number two to go with a Kevin Love as a number three. It's you have essentially a big one and I guess a big two with Love, but isn't anybody that fits into that role as the third guaranteed scoring option? For, you know, you had a Kyrie. So I guess the the better question would be for you is is that is 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 it, could you argue it's a you know to, to not have a big three and have a, have different options each each game, or, or are you better off having that third superstar? What, well, I, I know I'm putting you on the spot a little bit. No, no, no. It, well, it's, the way I look at it, it's kind of like when you coach a cross-country team, it, you know, it's like it's good when you have like three Ohio runners on your team because you know you're, what you're going to get from those guys every race. And then when you only have one, it's like, all right, well, then we need our pack to step up. We need our pack to be good to, to make up for those points when you don't have the front runners. And that's the thing, like, you, you think of – the last, what was the last team to win an NBA championship that didn't have a big three? Okay, well, it would be the 2011 Mavericks. They had one big star, Dirk. Then they had Terry. They had Jason Kidd, who was, you know, past his prime but still could shoot, you know, incredibly well. Um, but they, they all knew their roles. They mastered their roles. The, the stage, the moment wasn't too big for them, and they made timely shots, and they got, they got stops. They got key stops. Um, LeBron had a terrible finals that year. He averaged like under 18 a game, um, and they forced him to be hesitant. And, and Dirk and, and Terry, all those guys, they made all these clutch shots. So that, to me, is going to be the thing. I agree with you. Top to bottom, this team is, is probably the deepest team LeBron's uh, maybe ever been on because those Heat teams, if they had a, a weakness, which it was exposed when they lost in their two finals, they did not have a lot of depth. So if the starting, uh, starting eight, five or, or the eight in the rotation weren't really doing well, they couldn't really tap into a bench to really sway the momentum. This team does. They have, they have a bench. Uh, but I think the thing to be said is, you know, Cleveland in 16, they just had a championship-caliber team. They had the old, you know, role players, the old veterans. They had the guy from Duke, which his name escapes me now, you know, the old guy, 36 years old, just, just happy to be there on a championship team and contribute in his own little way. Um, yeah, Dova Dova and his timely shooting. I mean, you had role players that mastered their position and mastered their role on the team. That, to me, is going to be the story of this 18 Cavs team going forward. This team is good enough to get to the finals. I think everybody knows that now. Already in two games. The sample size is small, but it's, it's clear. It's clear after the wins they had, who they were against, and both on the road. They're good enough. Um, you know, when love comes back in, how is that going to affect the rest of the, the chemistry and the nucleus and all of that? Um, that's obviously going to be determined. But really, the question is, how quick do they master their roles? Um, how they quick, and I think they're going to embrace their roles. I don't think that's going to be an issue. And honestly, and I think this makes LeBron more special than Kobe or any big star we've seen in forever, like Michael Jordan. Imagine 
a finals that the Bulls won and Jordan wasn't the Bulls' leading scorer. You can't because it never happened. LeBron would be completely – I could see this team winning the finals and LeBron isn't the leading scorer. I could see it being Clarkson, really. I mean, or maybe, maybe Kevin Love. LeBron is so good at everything else, and he doesn't want to be the leading scorer. LeBron would sit back, and he would average, I think, 18, 11, and 10. And I always wondered – I always thought that's how his career would end. He would win a championship when he, when he wasn't the team's biggest scorer, didn't have to be anymore. Um, and that's, that's, that's the final stage of LeBron's career, I think, honestly, we're entering. And I will say this. As tired as I honestly kind of was with LeBron the first half of this year, but now it seems it seems well warranted because it seems like Isaiah just wasn't going to work and whatnot. I love the fact that both of these post game interviews, his voice is hoarse because he was barking out signals for two straight games. He loves this new phase in his career where he is easily the old head. Um, he is barking out signals and he loves it. He loves. I love when Clarkson, you know, does the low pop three signal when he shoots a big shot. Just the, the energy on this team and the excitement, it's, it's something, man. And I, I will say this, like, and I don't know if, I, if I'm right. You can call me out if I'm not. I think that Cavs fans appreciate the journey of getting to the finals. I don't know if this team needs to win it, to be honest. I really don't. Like, they won it in 16. Um, I know this necessarily now isn't the same nucleus. And I think that's the other exciting part, too. We've seen this story before. We've seen what, you know, this – what – Kyrie and now even without him, like we knew where that was going to end. We don't know where this Cavs team's going to end, but I think them getting to the finals for a fourth straight year uh, that hasn't happened since the Boston Celtics in the '60s. I mean, I think that in itself is an unbelievable accomplishment. And and again, Brian, call me out if I'm wrong. I think I think that carries so much weight. It, it's not a championship. It's not a championship like an NBA title, but. I think them getting to a fourth consecutive finals is unfathomable. And I think that it's, in my opinion, LeBron coming back and doing this is the greatest achievement of his career. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I think, I think it, it's, I'll say this. I think it's tough. I think it's difficult from my perspective to, you know, to say that, obviously, you know, obviously you'll be disappointed if you don't win a championship. But it's 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 going to be hard for the next several years for any team to feel too bad if they can't beat the Warriors because of how talented they are, and you know, with Kevin Durant, of course, added to an already tremendous team from two years ago. Um, but I, I think I think it's I think you want LeBron to come back. I mean, that's that's probably the biggest key to, to all of this. Um, a championship is, is is sort of like it's a, it's. You know, would be amazing because then LeBron's not leaving. You know, he's not going to leave after winning two of three finals, and you know, having having a young team like this, he would stick around. He'd be stupid not to. Um, but you know, that would be if you said to me right now, LeBron's coming back next year. Then I'm good with any result to to this season. Right. Nothing could happen this season that would, that would upset me because it's it's about having a future. It's about you know, believing that, that this can continue and that the fun's not going to end. That, that's what you want. That's what you aspire for. You know, that's what, you know, the Indians had in the 90s, and, yeah, we won a championship, but I look at those as, the, you know, some of the most fond memories of my life now as a child, so you, you tend to glorify those those years. But sure, I right. appreciate that I got a chance to watch something I'm never going to probably get to see again, a dynasty with so many guys 
being a part of it and so many guys sticking around for so many years. It just doesn't happen anymore in this day and age. So I love the fact that, you know, any opportunity we can have to just keep the fun going, this is year four, and I, you know, I, I understand it. it may be selfish to ask for five, six, seven, but, you know, I, I want to continue to have a chance at a championship for several years. And, and, and you know, while nothing LeBron's going to do at this point is going to make me hate him again like I did previously, it, 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 you don't want to be in a position where you're essentially rooting against Boston because you don't want Kyrie to win. You know, where you have a scenario, like the absolute most dreadful scenario is, and we'll probably see this finals at some point, even if LeBron stays, at some point you'll probably see a Celtics-Warriors final. And then it's like, I'll root for the Warriors. I know it sounds vindictive and terrible, but I'll root for the Warriors before before I'm going to root, even though I hate them, I'll root for a team from from, from California before I'm going to root for a team from Boston. And you add the Kyrie Irving part of it, and I'm not trying to be vindictive because he did help us win a championship, and I always appreciate that. But I'm, at this point, good with him. I don't really ever want to see that guy win a championship. Um, you know, so I'm not going to probably be rooting for his teams against pretty much anybody. So what I, the, the, the positive is, though, is that now we can have these podcasts, and we have something exciting to talk about, and we have hope in regards to the Cavs and, and fun. Um, I can't stress that part enough. Sports is entertainment. It's supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to make you upset and frustrated. And that's what it's been like all year because you're literally, it's like watching the all-star game in that your team cannot stop anybody at any time. And to, to have a team now that is, look, it's still a team that's not a great defensive team. You know, it, it, the peak, it's probably going to be a peak middle tier team. This is not going to be a great defensive team. It's not going to happen. But even a middle middle tier defensive team is enough. When you when you see what the Cavs were able to do to prolific offenses in, in Boston and, and, and you know Oklahoma City or, or I guess defenses, you know, would be the better way of saying it. Boston they're the best defense in the NBA and they couldn't stop the Cavs at all. And yeah, it was just one game and maybe they get Hayward whatever, but I don't that's not gonna, I don't see that changing too much. Like if anything, they're gonna need to score more points. But there isn't going to be a defense that's going to be able to contain, you know, a team like this when you've got so many great shooters around LeBron. You can't, you can't do it. You can't stop this current LeBron James when he's surrounded by shooters. It's impossible. They're going to get open shots. And unless you get a ton of guys missing a ton of wide open shots, this team is going to, is going to be prolific offensively. And there's nothing that any team is going to do about it. It's just a question of, can, you know, the Cavs get enough stops or can the Cavs outscore, you know, uh, these teams to get to where they want to be? Yeah, man, it's awesome. And and really, I think all that you want to see uh, from a team is a team that's, that is good enough to potentially compete and win the championship. And that's what you have now. And I think for years to come, if they keep this new lease together, I mean – three of the four guys they brought in are all 25 years old, exactly 25 years old. So they're all in their prime, ready to do something now. Um, and the other thing, you know, who knows if Golden State, how good – I mean, they're still great. They're still a great team. But, I mean, you see Steve Kerr not even coaching the other night. And you see Draymond Green coaching the team. Uh, you know, Kerr was like, you know, it's been a it's been a, a kind of a frustrating season. And, you know, they're tired of me talking. I'm tired of them. Like, we need a break. 
And it's like when you hear that, it's like I, I go, I get that like it's social media today, and like everything these guys say gets blown up. But it's like I don't know. It's like when you start hearing, it reminds you this is year four of Golden State too, and you you don't know how long these things last. You know, I remember when like the Pistons won you know, back-to-back in 90-91, and then they face the Lakers, or uh, the Bulls in the Eastern Conference Finals in 91, they get swept, and that was it. And and so you don't know how these things go. I mean, remember, I mean, obviously Detroit Pistons weren't as good as, as Golden State, but like the Pistons in the, uh, in the 2004, the second coming of Detroit's glory years, and then LeBron knocked them out in those seven, and then I think they maybe went to one more conference finals, and that was it. Like, these things don't last forever. Normally, when when they when they end, you don't really see the end coming. So, you know that's where maybe LeBron, because like let's be honest, Brian, like he he looked miserable near the end, like pre-trade. And how happy have you seen him on the sidelines in these games? Like, I think he knows he's got a team that can beat Golden State because they can run, they can shoot. And I agree with you; they're probably at best a middle-tier defensive team. But you don't need to be an epic defensive team if you're a great scoring team and you're going to be in scoring battles. Like, because Golden State's defense isn't – I mean, they can get turnovers, but if you don't commit turnovers against Golden State, uh, they're not a great – they're only great defensively when they get in transition. I mean, they don't have any other really big men uh, other than Draymond Green. So, uh, they're certainly um, formidable, and uh, but I also think they can be beaten. I think this is Golden State's weakest team uh, – well, I can't say that. Like, I, I guess they're. I think they're certainly weaker than last year. Oh no, I, I think they may even be weaker than the 16 team, even though that team had Durant. Um, their bench isn't as good, and I think that. But I, again, and this has been the Cavaliers' issue the last two years. You can't fall behind two games to none and expect to win the series. And and remarkably, uh, they you know they came back and won in 16, and they almost pulled off a game three in Cleveland last year. But again, you know the fact we're having this conversation is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's yeah, it's it's really, it's 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 just it's just interesting. I just can't get over Brian how how much things have changed in in such a short period of time, and it just makes you, it just I don't know. It it it, it makes it makes it very interesting. <laughs> I, I I don't know much much more really to to say at this at this point on on it. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm. I'm excited and feeling blessed to to have this have this opportunity again. Definitely. Well, I think with that, it's been a fun show. I've enjoyed it. I think we can uh, end with some. I don't know if you want to end with some closing remarks. Um, I know I did want to say a quick thing about uh, the Steelers real quick before we start to take off here. Uh, yeah. They got a big decision with Le'Veon Bell. I personally, um, I don't think they should sign him, and I think that that sucks to say. He's from Columbus. Uh, specifically from Reynoldsburg, his little brother, uh, it actually plays football for my, my alma mater, Pickerington Central. So I like him. Uh, I just don't think they should sign him because he um, winning is not the most important thing to him. It's just not. Making money is, and that's and making a statement for being a, a great running back. Like winning is not the most important thing to him, and it's it's very, very evident. Don't want a guy like that on my team. Uh, I don't think you can win a Super Bowl with Le'Veon Bell on your team. The, the way he is now and the way that Mike Tomlin has allowed him to be in Pittsburgh, I just think that I'd rather I'd rather do what New England does or do what Philadelphia does and have a running back position by committee. I, I just don't – I think that $60 million 
can be better spent somewhere else. Um, and as you're seeing in Cleveland, maybe sometimes you lose a great player, but if you get four, you know, very good role players, sometimes that's better. Um, so to me, uh, if the Steelers really want to be about winning, I mean, look at the Penguins. I mean, Mulkin and Crosby, are, neither of them are in the top five in salaries in hockey. Yes, they're both in the top ten, like seven and nine or something like that. But, um, you know, winning is most important to the Penguins, and that's why they are the way they are. The culture within the Penguins organization is way better than Pittsburgh. Um, I know that might come off as crazy, Brian, uh, and, and then we can get into some closing thoughts. Uh, I don't want the Steelers to sign Le'Veon Bell, and I, and I think that there's more important things than having the best players to your positions. It's about a winning culture, and the Steelers do not have one. And that really stinks to say. Cameron Hayward, you know, former Buckeye, he's great. You know, he has it. Uh, I think Ben has it. Antonio Brown has had his shortcomings, but he has it. Le'Veon doesn't have it. He, he, he doesn't have it. You know, he, he wants to make $5 million more million per year than any other running back in league history. Give me a break. They're offering him unofficially four for 60, and he doesn't, he's turning it down. Like, he's turning down four for 60 with, like, 30 to 35 guaranteed in the first two years. Like, that would be $72 million over five years, and he is not going to take it probably. Like, what are they doing? Like, they're not, like, like a desperate team that – needs like is desperate to keep their stars like they can get another running back and i think that's what i don't like about the Steelers organization right now is they're acting like they're the desperate girl that can't get a date like you're the pittsburgh steelers like you should be like this is our offer take it or leave it and if he leaves he leaves i think they're so worried about upsetting the, the fan base because so many fans are down on them for not not going all the way this year and the funny thing is, a bunch of fans are like, oh, you know, we need to sign Malcolm Butler. We need to sign, you know, ex-safety. If you sign Le'Veon Bell, you can't get any of these guys. Understand that. Understand that. Like, Le'Veon, and the fact that he runs his mouth left and right, he has no humility at all. Um, again, this pains me to say, he's from Columbus. You know how much I love this city and how much I like him. But I don't want him on our team anymore. The problem is the Steelers are running a popularity contest. They're not running an organization. They don't want the backlash of letting Le'Veon Bell leave town because the Pirates just let just let McCutcheon leave. The Penguins didn't let Malkin and Crosby leave. Now, if you're the team that lets Le'Veon go, the backlash they're going to receive by most of the fan base is going to be very negative. And it's sad to me they're letting the fan base dictate how they're running the team. And I'm really passionate about this, which I didn't think I was going to be, but it, it really bothers yeah. me, Brian, that they're letting the fan base run their team. They're the Pittsburgh Steelers. No one should run the team except for the Roonies and the people that they have hired to run the team for them. Yeah, it, it, it's fascinating to hear you say that because I'll be honest, we hadn't really talked about this before we came on here. So I'm, I'm, and I'm glad we didn't because – you know, I was just sort of going through the emotions of listening and, and sort of thinking about what you were saying. And initially, I'm thinking, this is ridiculous, Le'Veon Bell. Of course, you need to keep Le'Veon Bell. He's, you're not going to do better than him. But as you continue to make your point, I think you hit on the culture piece, and that's, that's the argument for sure for not keeping him because that's what, from the outside looking in, that's what you appreciate about 
resent maybe too as a Browns fan, but appreciate and respect nonetheless, if you're honest, about the Steelers that they have an organization that, you know, run by the Roonies and, you know, three coaches since Chuck Noll, including Chuck Noll. Um, that's what has made the Steelers great, and that's why the Steelers year in and year out are one of the best, you know, organizations in professional sports. Uh, so, you know, if any organization – because I think the big question is from a football standpoint, Brian, if you don't keep Le'Veon Bell, what are you going to do with the money? And ultimately, I would like to think that let's trust, you know, you should trust the Steelers to use that money wisely to make enough of an impact on other positions. You're not going to be as good at running back without Le'Veon Bell. That's obvious. But like you said, do you need to be in, especially in 2018 NFL? Do you need to have uh, the best running back maybe in football to win? You probably don't. You definitely don't. If you look at the Steelers, and, and I think you used a good example with a, you've got a nice combination in, in Philadelphia. Getting, out, getting Jay Ajayi was a real, you know, great move for them to you know, add with LeGarrette Blunt and even Corey Clement you know, to an extent, too. So right. uh, you don't need to have that bell cow, no pun intended, you know, running back. Uh, sure. But, you know, you, you obviously have to have to use it in the correct way. But, yeah, I mean, the Steelers, historically, one of the things that you respect about them is they haven't caved to the fans because they, they will, they've let great, very good players go. And it's they're, – they're, I mean, Brian, you know them obviously a thousand times better than I do. Can, I mean, is there an example of, of, of a former star they had that they let go that it was a bad decision? I mean, I can't think of – one person, Rod Woodson, I mean, you know, I know but Plaxico, that's really it. Yeah, okay, yeah, but that I mean, was, that was 21 right years decision. ago, but yeah, I mean, Rod yeah. Woodson was a bad decision. Yeah, Other so that was that, a mistake. No, Plaxico no. Burst, terrible. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a great decision. San Antonio Holmes, probably a tough Mike decision Vrabel so close too, to the Super Bowl for us. <laughs> I didn't Mike even Vrabel know you had Mike Vrabel, so that's fascinating. But Very um, early in his career. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... But, you know, for the most part, you know, I mean, it's tough to, 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 you know, give up on a guy who was a Super Bowl MVP and so instrumental and, and a, an all-time famous great moment in the history of the franchise, Antonio Holmes, but it was 100% the right decision. He's out of football. So, yeah, I mean, I think you do need to trust that, that they're going to do what it's all about. And, you know, if Le'Veon Bell is not going to – agree to a number that, that, that is remotely fair and realistic, then you don't have enough time. Ben is not old, young enough. He's still very talented. And same in Antonio Brown, but neither of them are young enough you can screw around too much. And, you know, no. think no. about where I, am, where I am. I'm I'm in Denver. And the Broncos, that's the fear here, right? Is this defense, yeah. you know, is still very talented. You still have one of the best players on either side of the ball in the NFL and Von Miller. Um, you know, so you, you know, that's the fear here is like, if we don't get a quarterback and we don't, you know, have an offense to match this defense, we're going to burn this opportunity. And there's no guarantee you're going to be able to rebuild a caliber of this defense. Once these guys get older and every year you don't succeed, you're a year closer to really being in trouble. Cause these guys are, so that window is now to win, and I'm sure there are probably a lot of Steelers fans that are saying, well, okay, if your window to win is now, you've got to keep the best running back at football. But that may not necessarily be the smartest decision if you can take that money, that significant money, and use it on multiple pieces to help your football team. 
Hello? Did I lose you? And Brian? Antonio Brown. I'm sorry? I, 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 I think that you, you cut out me. You cut out either from here or from me. So I completely oh, lost I got you. you. For, I got for a you. Bit. But no, I'm sorry. The, the thing is, no, it's fine. The, 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 the sad thing is, they're asking productive players to shave their salaries to help them sign Le'Veon. Uh, DeCastro, um, Stefan Tuitt, who's a, who's a good player. Uh, they might ask Shazier and Antonio Brown to do the same thing. That's a report out that they might, and Shazier will because he's selfless and, and he's great. Great guy. Great guy. Um, but the thing about it is, you, you've got, I don't think Le'Veon is beloved in that locker room. I think the guys like him, but I think that, like, Shazier is beloved. He was beloved before his injury. Like, he was the heart and soul of that team. Him and Ben and, 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 and Hayward, two of the three were – they're all Ohio guys, but two of them went to OSU. You know, I, I think, Brian, like, therein lies the problem, my friend. When you have – when your Super Bowl window is closing, it's still open, but it's, you know, how much longer is it going to stay open? We talked about that with the NBA. That's where the Steelers are. Their desperation to win another Vince Lombardi versus are you going to lose your identity in the process. And that's the thing where it's like – how, how many Steelers fans would feel good if they won the Super Bowl and then you, you saw Le'Veon Bell in the aftermath acting like a jackass? I'd rather almost win, try to win it with James Conner, and if we fall short, we fall short, but at least we fell short with guys we, we like. You know, because, again, they all have money, and that's fine, and, and they deserve their money. You have Le'Veon Bell after a loss to the Patriots going on a private jet with three or four of his teammates drinking liquor, which if you're a top-tier athlete, maybe you shouldn't be doing that, uh, and flaunting. And, and, you know, you know, he, he was wearing uh, necklaces uh, in an interview with TMZ during Super Bowl week showing off that they cost 250000 He was wearing $250,000 worth of jewelry, and he wants more money. That's where I have a problem. It's like I'm happy that you've made money for yourself that you've, you've earned and deserved, but you're you're showing it off like a jackass, and then you want to ask the Steelers for more money. Sorry, man. Like, like we're not the girl that can't get a date to prom, and that's where I get mad. I mean, he he knows the Steelers are desperate to win another ring, and the Penguins winning Stanley Cups doesn't help. That puts pressure on the Steelers, um, and and they're going to try to do whatever it takes. And this this is where I think if Dan Rooney, uh, Art's dad, was still running the show. He would he would have let him go. It, this wouldn't even have been a discussion. It would have been you know what? Here's our offer. You're taking it. Or you're leaving. I wouldn't Steelers. Like sorry. Like we're the Steelers. Like here's your offer. Like take it or leave it. Uh, unfortunately, man. Like I think they're selling their souls a little bit down the road. And and to me, that's the one issue I have with the Steelers fan base is that they let six Lombardies and they let all that stuff cloud them from like what's it really mean to be a fan of this team? Like what would you rather have? Like you know, do you want to be New England where, you, you know, your character is questioned? You know, do you really want that? I mean, again, Le'Veon's not a deviant. He's not a terrible individual. But he hasn't really cast the Steelers in positive lights, whether it's the holdout talking trash before the Jacksonville game um, or uh, some of the other things he's done, um, you know, the, the smoking weed and driving, you know, driving high and getting pulled over. Like, again, we're – we're, all of us are human, but he's in a position where he needs to really think about that stuff. And that's what bothers me, Brian. He knows they're desperate to win the Super Bowl, and he's certainly going to take advantage of that. But but to me, uh, personally, I, I would like to think that the Steelers have thicker skin. 
and they're going to do what's best for the organization, not what's best for their for their uh, for their image. And uh, there are quite a few fans that do want to see them get rid of him, uh, but you know, not enough. There will be a big backlash, but you know, hopefully they do what's right. Uh, and that's my two cents, man. But I don't know, buddy. It's it just to me, it, it really hurts me to see a team I care about. I mean, I care about the Steelers more than any team. Not just that it's my job. Uh, it's just the team that I share with my, my grandparents. Uh, you know, they're the ones that gave me this love for them. Uh, and like you, you know, the Steelers lost some big championships in the 90s. That's when I was a kid. I love most of those teams. My favorite Steelers teams ever are the ones that didn't win Super Bowls. Uh, but, but, yeah, man, it just really sucks to see the integrity of the team uh, be compromised right now by some spoiled kid that grew up in my backyard. And that's where I'm going. I've been so positive this whole show, man. <laughs> we went – I went negative with the Steelers, but it is the way it is, my friend. Not not every not every team you cheer for, not all is going to be good at the same time. So you got to take what's positive and and not dwell too much on the negative parts. Yeah, and again, I mean, if ever there was like the easiest transition for me to say like, boohoo, like your problems are really not <laughs> big problems in comparison to like ninety five percent of the organizations, not just in football but in sports. You know, and, I, and I'm not trying to be a jerk by saying that, but I mean, I think no, you're I right. think most you're right. anybody that's not a Steelers fan would listen to what you're saying, and and after a while, it's kind of like, okay, well, whatever. I mean, you're you know, like you're one of the most yeah. successful franchises. You're going to be great next year, whether you have Le'Veon or not. You're going to be a Super Bowl contender. Obviously, I understand it's a different mentality in that you know these decisions could be the difference between winning a ring and not winning a ring. And ultimately, you guys have this, your standard is the highest possible standard. And to be fair, as a Cavs fan, I have the same standard you do at this time, but your standard's consistent and that your season is not successful if you don't go to and win the Super Bowl. Um, so it's a, different, it's a different standpoint. But, um, but you know what? I will say this to, to, to your point, and I think you've persuaded me, despite in your, you know, being negative in, in your view, you've persuaded me that, you know, Le'Veon Bell, I kind of want you guys to sign Le'Veon Bell because I'm a Browns fan, and I really want to see, and it's going to sound addictive and mean, but it's, it, it's, as a, I'm desperate. I mean, the, the best thing that could happen to any team in, in the North would be for your culture to implode. I don't think it will. I think it, there's too much of a base there that even if you sign Le'Veon, I, I think it's a lot like the other thing that reminded me was kind of how Kyrie wasn't necessarily the biggest, you know, favorite in the locker room, but you loved him because his game was so good. Probably the same with Le'Veon. Like, right. you deal with it because right. he's yeah. so good. Um, but, yeah. you know, so I don't think that what I'm saying is going to happen. I don't think that, and I think you maybe overstated it too, of that the culture is going to die. But it is fair, not to talk out of both sides of my mouth, to say that you don't want a domino effect. You don't want this to be the first step that drifts you more and more away from the Steeler way. And if this is an isolated incident, that's one thing. But if it isn't, and, and Steelers as an organization get away from their principles of one guy is not bigger than the team, then over a period of time, you will lose that identity and you won't be the Steelers that we've known for since, since the 70s. Um, and so I don't think that's going to happen. I, I just, I just, there's just too much of a base, and at the end of the day, the Roonies are there. Whether it's Dan or Arch, you, you still have a great family owning the team. You still have a very good coach in Tomlin. 
Like you still have all the ingredients to put yourself in a position where that culture won't go, but you also don't want to take that for granted, and you definitely don't want this to be a slippery slope. So while I don't – again, I'm talking on both sides of my mouth. I don't think it's going to happen. I do, you have persuaded me that if I'm a Steelers fan, my culture is more important than anything because that's what's going to ensure that, we have, that you guys have sustained success over a period of time as you can continue to have. And that is, is definitely bigger than, than, you know, potentially winning one ring. So I'm with you on that for sure. There's, there's some great points, man. As you were talking, um, I will say this, and I guess we'll go to your final thoughts. These will be easily mine. Well, very small minor thoughts. Cheer for the Pirates if you're a Pirate fan. I know McCutcheon left and you're upset, but enough, enough time. Is, they're going to try to win. That's all I've got. Now back to – the Le'Veon thing. And this is what happened with Antonio. Last year, I wasn't sure what they would do with his contract because he was coming up on his last year, and he had said he, he didn't really want to play on a one-year contract. They gave him not only a nice contract, they made him the highest-paid receiver in, in football history. And Antonio did not have the suspensions Bellis had, but the Facebook Live thing, uh, he's had some immaturity to points when Ben uh, – in the off season has gone weeks without returning his calls or texts or anything where Antonio's have had to drive over to his house and like try to get him. Antonio understood what, what that signing meant. That was Dan Rooney's last big decision as the Steelers owner before he passed was he told his son who's the president, get Antonio taken care of. And Dan was like, you're the leader of the team now. Like you and Ben, like you've reached that level. Like you're not, the money doesn't just mean you're a great player. That means you're a Steeler. Like, you're a Steeler for life now. And, and winning a championship and doing it the right way is what's most important now. And the, I will say this, you know, you never want to see your team lose a championship caliber game. But the, the greatest part that I saw in the loss of Jacksonville was how upset Antonio was in the locker room. Like, you could tell it meant a lot to him. Him playing injured and playing so well in that game injured. And then Ben came up to him in the locker room and said, you know, we'll get there. You know, we'll get there. And, and that's what – I would like to think about Steeler football and the guys that play there is that like that spirit. So my hope is, you know, Le'Veon signs the deal. He understands what that means. And then he can maybe gain a new level of maturity because he still is young. And I don't think Antonio fully got it until he was 29 last year. So let's hope if, and I think he is going to get the deal that when it's all said and done. Uh, So I think that hopefully when he gets it, the light can start to come on for him. So, Buddy, it's been a lot of fun. It's been it's been long overdue, but I think it was one of our best shows, if not our best show. I enjoyed it, and uh, hope you did too, buddy. And uh, I know we'll do a lot more of these with with Cleveland. Uh, the All Star Game's coming up, and I, I'm excited to watch it. It'll be a fun All Star Game. I know one of our new signings is in. Uh, I think you said he's Nance is in the dunk contest. That'll be fun. But uh, but yeah, man, yeah. I know it's hard to do, but I think I'm out of breath. So uh, <laughs> we'll let you close us out, man. You got any final thoughts for us on the Diardro Show uh, podcast? Yeah, I, I, I'll, I, we'll mention briefly. So, yeah, Larry Nance Jr., and, and um, I knew that Larry Sr. won a dunk contest. I did not know until I read about it, which I thought was really neat. I don't know if you knew this, but Larry Sr. won the 1984 dunk contest. The significance is the first ever dunk contest when he was on the Phoenix Suns. So that's really cool. I did not know that. Um, and I, so I, ordinarily I wouldn't really care. I guess I probably would have been into it either way because he's from Akron and it's because of who his dad is, even if he wasn't on the Cavs. 
But now I'm like excited and looking forward to All-Star Weekend and looking forward to this, whereas, like, you know, literally it was this time a week ago where literally this time a week ago I came back from a date, didn't go that great, and missed a great Cavs double overtime or overtime win, you know, the game-winning shot over Minnesota with the the, the hilarious, you know, where LeBron's celebrating and, and Isaiah's trying to jump in and get be a part of the celebration and isn't, and he was gone the next day. So tomorrow's significant because that's one week since, you know, basketball Armageddon turned into excitement again. So I'd love to see Larry Jr. win. That would be really cool to have a father and son both win and to have the son be on the Cavs when the father at that point was on his first team, the Phoenix Suns. Um, so really excited for that and just, you know, optimistic in general. I and mean, we haven't talked about the Indians at all, and that's okay. We don't have to. But, um, you know, as we close here today, pitchers and catchers reported, which is a day that's usually very exciting right. for me. But I'm, I'm really wrapped up in the Cavs, and, and, and that's my focus. And I didn't really read too much about what's going on. I mean, at some point maybe we could talk about, because it's a fascinating story, what's going on in baseball with the free agency issue with, you know, over 100 free agents and top-tier guys like J.D. Martinez and Mike Moustakis and Eric Hosmer and Jake Arrieta. Um, there's a ton of talent, really good players, you know, that can make a big difference on a championship caliber team that are not signed and it's already starting spring training. So it's, 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 it's been one of the most fascinating off seasons in baseball history, at least since the free agency era began. And so that's a topic maybe, you know, to discuss in, in a future podcast and we'll see how things change over the next coming days and weeks, uh, you know, who, who gets signed and when, and, you know, if you have a star sit out, for, uh, you know, until or past opening day, like you'd have with an NFL player holding out into the regular season. You never see that in baseball. It never happens ever, that in, to my recollection, and, and you could – there's just so many players, you might see it this year. You might see a legitimately good player sign in April or sign in May and, uh, and, and wait it out or maybe even longer. So that's going to be fascinating. But um, I guess, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be positive. It, it's uh, – a lot of excitement, you know, uh, with, with uh, you know, in my, in my sports world, and, um, you know, we're getting close to a very fun time of year on the sports calendar here halfway through the month of February. So uh, hope that, uh, you know, all is well. Thanks to everyone for listening. And for Brian Diardo, I'm Brian Rosen, and this Diardo Show is over.